The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. If you have a Bible or Bible app, flip to Mark chapter 1. We're, we're going to take an in-depth look at this one verse today. And here's what we learn right away. The kingdom that Jesus brought was and is good news. But if it's such good news, then why have so many missed it? Why do so many still miss it? And why do we, at times, miss it? I mean, we just celebrated the birth of Jesus and all that God becoming human represented and meant for humanity. And then we read in the first chapter of Mark, the initial proclamation that Jesus made that the coming of the kingdom of God is good news. And if that's the case, why do so many fail to see it that way? I think it's important to first recognize that the kingdom of God is unlike any other kingdom. It's, it's different. It's countercultural. It's, it's an inverted way of understanding kingdom than anyone would have or still does define it. For the coming weeks, we're going to study the implications of what Christ said and did in regard to his kingdom, his, his message, his methods, and his expectations of anyone who claims to follow him. And, and as we spend the time to seek to understand the ramifications of the kingdom Jesus brought to earth for right now and for the, for the future, I hope we identify and recognize the good news of the kingdom of God and the manifestation of this kingdom in us and through us. Now, even as I say that last sentence, it may strike you as a bit odd. How can a kingdom be manifested in us and through us? When we think of kingdoms, our, our minds typically drift to governmental authority, power, rule, and reign. Well, the same was true for Jesus' Jewish audience. A group of people that had experienced marginalization, oppression, torment, and torture for centuries. So when Jesus, Jesus arrived on the scene, talking about how the news that the kingdom of God, their God, had arrived, anticipation and excitement grew. But he wasn't anything like the leader they were looking for, the military Messiah they were expecting. He, he did little to confront the Roman occupiers, which, which is what everyone had assumed he would do. Every time he gathered a large crowd, anyone expecting him to encourage them to inspire political rebellion was sorely disappointed. Eventually, the Jewish leadership rejected him as Messiah. They, they killed him for claiming God-given authority, but not exercising that authority in the way they expected by restoring the throne of David and the political power that went with it. He was crucified for claiming the throne of David without doing anything to defeat Israel's oppressors, which is what David did when he fought the Philistines. When Jesus claimed to be their savior but did not save them from Rome, they rejected him. They didn't understand him. If this kingdom was such good news, why did they crucify the one who brought and was the good news. To answer this question, there are two words that I want us to focus on as we think through how this kingdom 
is unlike any other. The first word is power. Kingdoms or, or kings and power are typically synonymous with one another. And when a new kingdom shows up, or for Jesus' Jewish audience, a promised kingdom shows up, the expectation for all of those aligned with that kingdom is more authority, more power, more control. As human beings, this is something we, we strive for. We like being in charge and in control and power. So, so we long for it. We work toward it. I mean, we even have things in our homes today that, that make us feel like kings and queens. Alexa, play me some music. Siri, read me my messages. I'm really hoping someone's Alexa just went off in their house. That'd be great. Now, I don't know about you, but every time I tell Alexa to do something or Siri to do something, it feels good. I like being able to boss someone around. I like how powerful that feels. And I know I'm not alone. Humans have enjoyed this feeling and sense of power since the beginning of time. And if anything, just want more. As we comb through scripture and look at how kings and rulers carried themselves and, and what they cared about, we see that the rich and powerful are only really worried about one thing, losing their wealth and power. It's why Pharaoh had unsettling dreams about shortages. Nebuchadnezzar had nightmares of his empire crumbling and falling apart. And every Caesar, king, ruler, or authority figure's fear, even today, of becoming an average Joe. It's what causes us to, to seek after status, position, wealth, and authority. And if Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords, it's not that difficult to see, see how so many jumped to the mindset that if God's time has come and I'm part of God's kingdom, then that means my time has come. If he's in control, if he has the power, I have the power. But here's the deal. If your version of Christianity is just good news for your power and position and status, then you don't have the same version of Christianity that Mark writes about. You know, this is how so many miss the kingdom of God and why it is a kingdom unlike any other. As theologian James Cone writes, the gospel is not good news for the powerful, for those who are comfortable with the way things are, or for anyone whose understanding of religion is aligned with power. Go back to, to Mark 115. At the end of this public proclamation of what Jesus came to bring, he said, repent and believe the good news. Now, we'll look at this word repent in a moment, but first let's think through the word believe. Mark uses the, the Greek word pisteo for believe. And pisteo means, yes, believe that it happened, believe that, that the new kingdom is here, but it also communicates something deeper something more challenging. It, it communicates surrender. If you believe in this king, then you entrust yourself to him. You serve, you sacrifice, and you surrender to your king. But if we read anything about Jesus, we understand and recognize that the message of Jesus did not stop there. This, this service, sacrifice, and surrender extended upward and outward. 
Look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. It's pretty intense, Jesus. Here's what he says next. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. And Jesus says, they will, they will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or, or needing clothes or sick or in prison? We don't remember that. When did we see that and, and, and didn't help you? He will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Now, when I read these words of Jesus, I wonder how the good news could be good news to anyone who misses what he says here. For anyone who doesn't do these things, or, or let's take it one step further, anyone who stands by is comfortable in or benefits from a system that does not feed the hungry, clothe the naked, welcome the stranger, or care for the sick and imprisoned. Does this sound like good news? You know, the desire for security within and comfort gained from power has and does cause so many to miss the good news of the kingdom of God. But let's, let's drill down into this just a bit deeper. Systems of power create hierarchies, and within hierarchies, some are in and, and some are out. Some have it and, and some don't. It's very exclusive. That's the second word I want you to think about today. First one was power. Second one is exclusivity. By and large, faith systems create exclusivity. We're in, you're out. As Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, his Jewish audience listened with the understanding that they were the people of God. So when they heard the words that Jesus said in Mark 1.15, the average Jewish listeners would have thought about David, King, Messiah, Temple, Jerusalem, kick the Romans out, and justice for us. But that wasn't what Jesus was declaring. It wasn't just about them. It was about everyone. The, the arrival of, of Jesus was the beginning of a brand new era, a new, a new covenant, a new arrangement between God and the many, not just Israel. This is why Jesus not only told them to believe, if we go back to Mark 1.15, repent and believe the good news. He also said, repent. We've talked a lot about this word over the past few months. And yes, repent definitely means to get your life right. If we read just before this and we see John the Baptist, we see him calling people to this type of repentance. But when Jesus arrives on the scene, this understanding of repentance expands a bit because it also carries with it this connotation of changing your way of thinking, change your worldview, change how you understand and experience the presence of God, change your mind. He knew his audience needed to shift their thinking to good news beyond just them, but everyone. It was and is the most inclusive faith system that exists. 
So, so if our understanding of the kingdom of God is more exclusive than inclusive, we've missed it as well. So, so that's where they needed to change their, their thinking. But, but what about us? You know, I think exclusivity can still cause us to miss the good news of the kingdom. And one of the ways this comes through is in our individualistic way of thinking. Our culture promotes and, and pushes individualism. And, and when our view of the kingdom has these same undertones, we too need to change our thinking. Now, let me be perfectly clear on something. Christian faith is deeply personal. It, it draws a person into a saving, transforming relationship with God through Jesus. But Christian faith is never individualistic. Our personal relationship to God must be expressed and experienced through our belonging to God's people and availability, uh, availability to all people. You know, every Thursday night, I, I get on a Zoom call with three of my closest friends from San Diego. Um, we're all spread out in different parts of the country now, and, and had, we, we'd kind of lost touch. But when COVID hit, we decided to hang out virtually once a week. We also decided to read a book together and, and then discuss it on these calls. So, so yeah, it's, it's pretty much like a book club. Uh, but we've read, we've read books about Jesus, golf, snipers, and then a C.S. Lewis book that none of us understood. And the book we're on now is about spirituality. And our group is an interesting one. We don't align politically. Most of us are really good golfers, and one of us isn't. That one's me. And, and when it comes to our faith, we don't all align there either. But we're learning and processing and discussing and wrestling and growing together. This past week, we were talking about science and atoms and particles and how everything is connected. How all divisions take place within unity. How, how all parts exist within holes and all holes form one big hole. We identified this in our group as well. We are connected. And this realization led us to a lengthy discussion about the connectedness of creation and how we're, we're all participating in it. In the story of creation in Genesis chapter 1, the Hebrew word for God is Elohim. And that word is plural. It speaks to how God is a community of love. And humans, in this, in this story in Genesis 1, in Genesis 1, are created in God's image. We reflect communal love, connected to one another and connected to creation. And this is what I hope we understand when we talk about the redemption of creation brought through Jesus and the good news of the kingdom of God. It wasn't just available to some of creation, but all of creation, his creation. So if your version of Christianity is just good news for you and the people like you, then you don't have the same version of Christianity that Mark writes about, or really any of the authors throughout all of Scripture. If we just make the good news about us on an individual level, we will miss it. We've done this today to a large extent within the Christian faith, and it often comes through the way we understand the story arc of scripture or tend to understand the story arc of scripture. If we, we were to ask most folks to sum up what the Bible was all about, they would tell you, well, in the beginning, God created the world and humanity and said it's all good. 
until they weren't. Soon after creation, Adam and Eve allowed their desire for power and authority over their own life to disrupt God's creation, and then sin entered the world. From there, God made a covenant with Abraham that Israel failed to be faithful to. So God sent the perfect Israelite in Jesus Christ to redeem creation through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And this redemption will one day be completed at the second coming of Christ. That's the story of God, as many would summarize it. Now, this is all right and good, but often the result of this narrow understanding of scripture is that we tend to make it just about us as individuals because that story arc that we just went through simply leads to our own personal redemption. When we do this, we skip such a massive chunk of the, of the story and we miss the, or, the overarching narrative of scripture. Doing this is like it's like watching the opening scene of a movie and then fast forwarding to the, to the end, causing us to miss all the character development, uh, the tension, the plot, and, and just catching the last 20 minutes or so, so that we know how it ends. Like think of the movie Castaway with Tom Hanks. If we took this approach to that movie, we would essentially go from FedEx employee flying in a plane, plane crash, and then skip all the way to him returning home in Tennessee having a football team. We would have never seen the struggle, the pain, the tension of him living on the island, and, and none of us would even know who Wilson was, which, I mean, to be honest, would have saved, saved us from every person who saw a loose volleyball feeling obligated to scream, Wilson, for about a decade. Like, if you're still making that joke, it's done. Stop. But we also would have missed the larger story. So, so why do we do this with scripture? Well, because we like to think about ourselves first. What does this all mean for me? And when we do this, we narrowly focus the story on the salvation of the individual on me and not on the king or, or his kingdom and his redemption of creation and our connectedness to it. We miss the larger story. It's, it's why we're so tempted to view the kingdom of God differently depending on our external circumstances. We minimize the work of Jesus to only be about what we are experiencing or what we see going on around us. I mean, I, I know many who have stepped away from or shifted their faith in Jesus because they see the pain and brokenness in the world and can't reconcile that with God as king who still allows it to happen. It's like their mindset is, you know, I'll allow God to set things right in my heart if he sets things right in the world. You know, the story God tells and is telling is so much bigger than this if-then mentality. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than, than what I'm experiencing and what I see going on around me. And, and it's also, don't, don't miss this one, it's bigger than my personal salvation. In his book, Kingdom Conspiracy, Scott McKnight writes, The gospel is a story about Jesus, and because it is about Jesus, it is not about us first. To make the story primarily about us, about me and my salvation, is to reduce the story and replace the central actor who is Jesus, not me. We have to understand the journey. 
the pain, that, that, the, the tension that exists throughout this story and allow the significance of Jesus bringing the good news of the kingdom of God and how countercultural that kingdom was, how countercultural Jesus was, his life, ministry, everything he said, everything he did. We have to understand that to fully grasp what it means to follow him and, and how we experience and endure tension and confusion and pain and redemption even now. Power and exclusivity. The desire for these two things, the comfort of, of these two things, the effects of these two things have caused many to miss the good news of the kingdom of God. It's so important for us to recognize that this kingdom is unlike any other. It, it does not gain influence by force or might or conquest, but by sacrifice, service, and surrender. It's not the most well-known and longest-lasting kingdom because of its exclusivity, but by its availability to all of humanity. And even still, some will miss it. But what about our generation? What about us? Are we minimizing the work of Jesus to only be about our current circumstance? That if he sets things right in the world, we'll allow him to set things right in our heart? Do, do we understand the King Jesus is and, and, and his good news? Do we understand the, 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 the power and inclusivity of Jesus? Do we recognize his kingdom? If so, how would we define the kingdom he claimed to have brought to earth? This series will ask that question over and over. How do we view power, surrender, exclusivity, inclusivity as a part of his kingdom? How are we, his church, living out the teaching of his kingdom? How accurate is our imitation of Jesus and our obedience to his command? This week, I want to encourage you to read through one of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And every time you see Jesus bring up kingdom. Spend some time contemplating and processing and wondering what Jesus was communicating and the consequences and ramifications of that. Think about the complexity and nuance of a kingdom that manifests itself in us and through us while also having a very real physical and external reality. A kingdom that is not like any other. Then I hope you'll join us next week as we continue to process together. I hope you have a great week. I love you.